0: Good evening, church. Great to see you. My name is Corey Bendix. I'm the outreach and evangelism pastor here. Uh, thank you again for being here. Just wanted to give you an update. A couple of weeks back, we had our partnership fair. Uh, it was a huge success. And we had 375 of you that signed up to want to be engaged in making a difference in our community. So that's a really big win. Thank you for those of you who signed up. We're excited to see the journey ahead. Uh, we are starting a new series Uh, About the church Um, for the next four weeks. So, we've just come out of a a series where we've um, unpacked our vision, who we are as a people, where we're going as a people. And in in just a few weeks, we'll be looking at this important season of Easter, of celebrating Jesus as Christ and what the implications of that are for us personally and ultimately the world that we live in. Sandwich in between these two important moments, we're going to take four weeks and we're going to build. And ecclesiology, which is just a really big word that you can impress your friends at parties, which is just, it's understanding the nature of the church. What is the church? Why does the church exist? How does it, what does it look like for you and I to church well? This is a really important question that I think that we need to consider. In fact, St. Augustine said this, he said, no man can call God his father without calling the church his mother. What does it look like for us to navigate this question of what is the church? Now, I think this is really important because we live in a culture that is defining, redefining, and twisting the view of what the church even is. Here recently, uh, I, our family bought a house in Warrington that... Uh, needed a lot of work when it comes to yard stuff. And so um, I went into my backyard and I discovered that there was at one time a small vine that had over time grew into a small tree that was wrapping itself around our fence. I think I've got a a picture of it, but uh, it it was amazing to see that over the course of time that this weed had become so powerful that it was actually destroying my fence. And so it was, there was one response for me to have, and that was simply to cut down this weed because it was going to create a gap that things could get in and out that weren't supposed to be in my property. And when I think about the culture that we live in and the way that it's wrapping itself around our understanding of the church, it's pretty powerful that uh, we, we live in a, in, a, in a world where there's a lot of false definitions of what the church is. And so before I talk about what the church is, I really want to consider what the church is not. So the church is not, for example, it's, it's not a social club. A place where you go that has amenities that you want, that you go to get what you want and you leave when you want and it's built around you. That is not what the church is. We are not your local gym. The church is not the gym where you go because of all of the great facilities that it has. It's not a social club. It's not a political group. In the 1980s, there was a a movement where the church had been become synonymous with the Republican Party. And that's that's thankfully that is that is not what the church is. It's not Republican, it's not Democrat, it's not. Independent, it's it thankfully we are a monarchist. We have a king that we did not vote into power, that he came into this world, that he condescended into our reality, and he died for us, and now he chooses us to come to him and and now he builds us. And we're gonna talk about that just in just a few minutes. That we're not an activist organization. Although that does not mean that we are not engaged in politics. That does not mean that we do not have a passion for activism, where we see the needs of our community and we engage them wholeheartedly. But the church is not guided and directed based off of the the needs of our society. The church is not a building. That does not mean that we do not have buildings. That does not mean that, that buildings are not vital to us as a group, as a church, expanding to reach our city. But we are not defined by our building, which is really good news. But because, And I, let me just warn you, we, as a church, we are going to mo- continue to move forward. We're going to reach the city, and we're going to own buildings. It's just going to happen. But, but in regards to what the church is, the church is not a building. The church is people. And one one more thing that I forgot to add is that the church is not about clones. Now, we have, uh, the church is made up of really great leaders, but the goal of the church is not to become like the leader that is presented in front of whichever church that you go to. Although we are told to follow them as they follow Christ, and, and, Leaders are set into motion to help guide us to become more like Christ. But the goal of the church is not to become like the leader that is in front of them. So if that is what the church is not, then what is the church? What is the church? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Let's read it. As you come to him, I'm old. The living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. I can't even see that. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. This is not going well. There we go. It's huge. Oh, it's ginormous. That's what I'm talking about. That's like a thousand font right there. Oh, To be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I, 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 I want to unpack these, this simple, uh, potent, powerful text that it's easy to read and fly through. I want to break this thing down. And I want to break it down into really three specific things. I, I want to look at, at a, an unchanging, unstoppable foundation, an unstoppable function and an unstoppable fuel, an unstoppable foundation. We'll talk about that, an unstoppable function and an unstoppable fuel. Peter, he, he dives into this text and he's, he declares that, that the church is built on a living stone, Jesus. Now, it's important to just pause and take a step back because you need to know who Peter is and who he's talking to. Peter is the rock. But there's no one more shakeable than Peter. Do you remember Peter? He's the one that denied Jesus. Peter is the one that was called Satan. You have a shakeable vessel that God has restored, and now he's being the mouthpiece to, to speak to a church. This church is scattered. It's, it's a, it's a, they were part of the dispersion. They were in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, and they were scattered all over. They were a group that was homeless. They were a group without a temple. And they were a group that was going through quite possibly one of the worst seasons of the church when it comes to persecution. This is right around 63 AD, and if you know anything about history, that's right around the time of Nero and the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. The Peace of Rome, ironically, as a result of, of warfare, and Nero had it in his mind that he's going to do one thing. He's going to expand a reign of terror over Christians. And he found creative and sinister ways to create a living hell for Christians. So when we read these texts, as you read First Peter, as you go back and consider it, um, the concerns of the church in the first century is not, where's my Wi-Fi? It's not, are my kids going to get into private school? It's not, am I going to go with the Genesis or the Lexus? The concerns of the church were, am I going to live tomorrow? Are my kids going to be able to get to the age of 25 to have kids and get married? Am I going to come home and my wife has been taken? Is my business going to last? These were the common questions that swept through the early church in the first century. And you can can fill in the blanks with the questions that they must have had. Questions like, is this really worth it? Questions like, what is going to hold me together? Questions like, is this Jesus really, does he really know where I am and what I'm going through? And what Peter does is Peter speaks into the chaos of the first century, the chaos of this region, and he says, Jesus Christ is building a church upon the stone of his own life, and anything that you go through, he is a stone that you can build your life on, and he is going to build the church upon. That he is an unshakable foundation. He is a foundation that nothing can sway, nothing can break, and nothing can push away. Let me just tell you, our church is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. What what he's saying, what Peter is, is trying to paint as a picture is that this is an unshakable foundation that although you feel like everything is being shaken, let me just tell you that Jesus is holding you together even though your grip on him is weakening. And the reason that he's the foundation is because he did The impossible. Now, we live in a culture where we don't see the impossible very much. And so when I say that, you're like, okay. Like when we watch sports on Sunday, these guys are doing the impossible. But in my mind, I'm like, I I can do that. (laughs) Not really, but I think that I can. Uh, Until recently when I saw a movie this called Free Solo. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, but this is a dude who decided that he was going to climb El Capitan in Northern California, 3,000 feet high, without a rope. With, without a rope. And you can go to the next picture. He, it takes him four hours. And the movie is just stunning. I'm looking at this and go. this man... Like Others have tried it and others have failed. They've died. And this man is climbing this impossible face. And he gets to the top. And he's done it. He's done the impossible. And it suddenly woke me up to the reality that this church must have read this and gone, Jesus has climbed the face of sin, death, and the grave. He has done the impossible. This Jesus has done what no man can do. This Jesus has faced the impossible and he, through his own life, through his own peril, through his own love that drove him to face this mountain of of death, of of human waste, when it comes to to what death had done to to humans from the very beginning, he faced it and he defeated it. And now he looks at you and I and he says, I want you to build your life on me. I, I want to be at the base of everything that the church is. And what's amazing is that This is an unshakable foundation that Peter calls a living stone. Now that we're living, it's repeated a couple times in chapter 1. In verse 3 of chapter 1, it says that we have a living hope. Verse 18, I believe it says that there's a living word. And now we come to a living stone. Imagine what that would have done to your ears when all you're faced with is death. And now Peter's saying, I, the shakable one, have been built up by a living hope, a living word, and a living stone. You can be just like me. We can be built upon the living stone. And anything built upon the living stone is going to live. It's going to live. And what I love about what Peter does, Peter unpacks the power of the stone. That this is a stone that that, that that had a price to it. It was costly. But along with its price, it had power. That this was a stone that cost the Son, everything. Do you you, you realize that in order for us to be built upon him, it cost him everything? And guess what what God the Father thinks about the stone of the Son? It's precious to him. I wonder, is the Son as precious to us as it is to the Father? Do you realize that in order for us to be the church, it cost Jesus his life? Do, Do you... Do you, do you realize that as a result of that, it requires a centrality of the way that we operate in everything that we do? Now we have the privilege of building all that we are—ministries, focuses, worship songs, tithes and offerings. Everything is built on the focus and the hope and the stone of the sun. That's the foundation. It's an unshakable foundation. He says, but there's an unshakable function. And this is where I love. I love how Paul, I'm sorry, Peter, begins to hyperlink some stuff. Like like he he hyperlinks certain words to the Old Testament. Now I'm just going to fly through this, but just follow me. So he starts with, and you are living stones. And I I wonder when he says living stones, I wonder if he's talking about Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3 where Nehemiah is receiving all this trash talk from Sanballat, and he says this. He says, can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? What Nehemiah is doing, he's taking burnt stones, and he's using that to build the wall and ultimately the temple. And what I think Peter is saying here is Jesus uses burnt stones, burnt lives, lives that are crispy as a result of sin, Lives that have been cast away. Those that have been trashed, marginalized, and pushed out because of the impact of sin, death, and the grave. That, that what I believe Peter is doing is Peter is saying that, that although you were burnt stones, dead stones, now as a result of Jesus, you are living stones. He starts off and says, no, no, that, that we are a church that's built on Jesus, but guess who he uses? He uses, he uses burnt stones, do you feel burnt tonight? Has someone in the church burnt you? Has a relationship burnt you, has a choice burnt you? Has a season of your life you just feel like you're going from one failure to the next? Do you realize that Jesus is doing the heavy like God the Father and His son are doing the heavy lifting here? He's the one that's building the church, and He decides to use us, burnt stones. He says, "You're living stones. To be built into a spiritual house. The word house in the Greek is oikos. It's not just a a location, an entity, an address. It's designed to be its family language. Remember, he's speaking to people who have no home. And he's saying to them that God the Father has sent the Son as the foundation. He uses burnt stones, brings them together, and then he collects and builds a spiritual house with people who have nothing in common except for the one who's chosen them out of the burnt lifestyle. This is is the hope of what we're doing. That God is building a house not just for us to come and to take, but for us to come and to build with one another. To be as committed to one another as God the Father is to us. For us to have a whole new perspective of how am I building my life in the context of the church? Am I coming to take? Or am I coming because I am, that God has a plan. He wants to add me in fellowship with one another. And then he says, a, a, a holy priesthood. Now this is, I love this one. Just follow me on this. So in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 The words serve and protect are used to describe the duty of Adam and Eve. But What's interesting is that the only other time that these two words are used together is in Numbers chapter 3 and Numbers chapter 18, where God is describing the Levitical priests. So, So what you can deduce is this, that Adam and Eve were in not just a garden, they were in a temple, and that they were the priests of that temple. At the center of the temple was the Holy of Holies, namely the tree of good and evil, the, the tree of life, excuse me. That They were to come and receive from that every day, and as they received from that, they received life. That Adam and Eve, God's destiny for Adam and Eve was to be a priesthood in the Garden of Eden as the temple. That was what God had planned for not just them, but for all mankind to be a part of a priesthood. And, and even when mankind blew it all, guess what God did? He restored this whole idea of the priesthood with a group of people called the Levitical priests. And then Jesus comes along as the great high priest to now make a way for you and I to have what was lost in the first tree, he restores it in the second tree, and then he looks at you and I and says, "You're priests. You're like we're, we're priesthood. Pastor Brett isn't just the priest. We are the priesthood. This is who we are. This is, and what a priesthood does. A priesthood represents God to the people, and the people to God. So when you're praying for your neighbors. You're, you're operating in the role of a priesthood. When you're communicating, you're rep- representing the, the, your neighbors to God. When you are, you are proclaiming the love of Jesus through the gospel, you're acting as a priesthood. You're, you're representing God to the people. But this is what we're called, this is what he says. He says that now I am building on the stone of Jesus a people who've been chosen, in the midst of them being burnt stones, I'm building them up as a spiritual house, and I'm calling them to be a priesthood. This is, this is what we're called to be. This is what Jesus died to give us. This is what he wants to do, is restore everything that was lost in the garden, now was restored in Christ, and now we operate in this new role of, of now operating as God's representation to a world who is desperate to encounter. And then what, what he does is he finishes it up with, an unshakable fuel, an unshakable fuel. Um, here this past weekend, so I, as, I don't know why all my illustrations have to do with either wood or my backyard. <laughs> this is crazy. Um, but I, so I have a bunch of pine, this, like a collection of pines that have fallen down in my backyard and I was wanting to, like, to get rid of them and the way I was get rid of getting rid of them was I was burning them. And I don't know if you know anything about pine, but pine burns really, really hot, and it smells really, really good, like really good. So it's got this twofold, right? So I, I, was, I had this fire going, and I was burning pine, and my, I, it was doing fine, and, and my kids were like, my, my family was in the house, so I decided to go for a jog, a quick, quick jog. It was like a two-mile out and two-mile two back. I go two miles out and I, I smelled the pine. It was like it traveled. It was amazing how sweet that smell was. It was not only hot, but it gave this sweet incense. What Peter is saying is that, that now we have the opportunity as God's people to offer spiritual sacrifices to God, that that becomes a fuel, fuel that, that now warms me and is a sweet incense to the Father. Now you're asking, well, what in the world does it mean to offer spiritual sacrifices? I have no idea. I'm kidding. So what, what Peter does in chapter one is that he, he unpacks a couple of problems, a couple of challenges. He says that he talks a lot about hardships, and he talks a lot about holiness. And so to what, he's, what Peter is saying is that when you gather together in the community of believers, and you, instead of of facing hardships and running and isolating, but you face hardships and you run into community in those moments of your hardships plus the community, it creates this incense that both warms you, strengthens your faith, and is a sweet incense to your father. Just to give you just a quick quick example, My, my mom... Um, So my mom and dad had to endure me, which was really hard from ages 13 to about 23. That's a long time. Um, But ages about 16 or 17 and 18-ish were the hardest. Uh, I had become very rebellious, was drinking a whole lot. And I I remember stumbling into... uh, a phone call that my mom had had it was Thursday night at 8 o'clock. And she had a collection of maybe two ladies that she was calling. And I just remember hearing the, this, this call. Lord Jesus, I pray for my rebellious son. Uh, I thank you that you know him and you love him. And that you're going to cause his heart to soften and for him to come to you. I, I, came, I came to the realization that she had been having that call about me for the better part of a year. Every Thursday at 8 o'clock, praying for her broken, desperate son, me. She was taking her hardships, running to community, creating an incense of faith for her own soul and an incense that pleased the heart of the Father resulting, I really believe the reason that I am where I am is because of the way that my mom got on her knees and cried out for me. That, that when you face, for, for many of you, you are in the middle of hardships. You're in the middle of things that are bringing you to your knees. And it's easy to respond by running. And I want to dare you. I want to challenge you. I want to plead with you. I want to, to commend you. Instead of running into isolation, run into community. Run into community. Run into a place where you can have the power of confession. Where you can breathe the oxygen of confessing your challenges in front of people who you didn't even realize cared about you until you began to bring them into the deepest places of wounding. I love how he just doesn't talk about hardships. He talks about holiness. I... About five years ago, so um, our our church has something called the Conquer Series. Conquer Series is a great video series, eight weeks or so, that talks about how, as men, we can live in in holiness in a culture that is—it's destroying men in regards to sexuality. I was in Nashville, and I was a youth pastor, and I heard about this Conquer Series. And I was like, you know what, I want to go through that because I, I will really want to find a way to bring that to, these, to some of my guys who are going through this. I think it would be great for them. I got, I'm good, but it would be great for them. Well, I, this guy by the name of Dave Houston, he, he invites me into this small group. And I never realized how isolated I had become. That just in a few weeks of breathing the air of community, the oxygen of openness, I realized how broken I had become in in navigating the struggles of my life all by myself. And I began to take these baby steps of transparency, navigating some really difficult things in my past bringing them, sometimes dragging them, kicking and screaming into the light. And other times, they're so big and hairy and nasty, I took past David, like, look, man, I can't move this. Will you go in with me? And it was over the course of eight weeks of openness, of commitment to community, of knowing that God was pleased when I showed up at 7 a.m., not knowing how I was going to act. Not knowing if I was going to walk out, be angry, or start crying. And it was, it was in these eight weeks that everything changed for me. I was a pastor. This is, this is just a, this is five years ago. I finally came to a, re- a realization of what community was. As a result of having a battle for holiness, running to community instead of isolation, this warmed my, my faith, and it pleased my God. This is what it looks like for us to be the church. What is the church? The church is built on Jesus, an unshakable foundation. He is an unshakable foundation. He has done the impossible. He has now built himself as the cornerstone, hewned from suffering, hewned from the resurrection, pulled out from, from the, the chaos of hell itself. He, he took the keys from sin, death, and the grave. And now he reigns supreme. And now he invites us. He says, you know what? I want to take burnt stones. I want to build you to be a holy priesthood. And now I want you to offer up spiritual sacrifices. What a privilege this is. Let me, let me f- conclude with this. Um, this is a, a picture of of uh, what's called as the eyesore on I4. This is uh, on I4 in Orlando. Uh, you can't miss it, but this is the, I lived in Orlando for a, a couple of years. This is the the, 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 the comical uh, relief of the city of Orlando, of a $4 billion um, building that was created, and the The taller it got, the, the, the more that they dreamed what this building could be, the more expensive it became. The more expensive it became, the more they realized we don't have what it takes to fulfill the requirements. And so what they did is they walked away. This has been sitting like this for years. A reminder that when something gets too expensive, people walk away. For many of us, when we think about the church, we think about an entity that has done nothing but bring damage over the course of years. And it's for some of the cases that are brought forth, it's true. And we are an expensive entity making many mistakes. Not, I'm talking about Archie, but the the church in general. And what we have in this text is we have Jesus saying to you and I that I will never, ever, ever walk away from something that is extremely expensive. In fact, I'm willing to pay the ultimate cost. I'm willing to pay my life. That we have in Jesus, one who will never walk away, the question is, will you? When things get too expensive, when things cost you, when people offend you, When things are said, when you face moments where you are struck in your core of this, I'm violated, I do not like what I just heard, will you be one that walks away? Because that is an act that isn't just done in this church. It is an act that is repeated, church after church after church. Once a person is cut, they walk away. And I want to remind you that Jesus has promised to never walk away from his bride. Amen. For many of us, we love Jesus, we hate the church. That is just, n- that is not a good combination. I don't know any man who you can hang out with him and hate his wife. It's only a matter of time before, before hands fly, before something happens. This is, I'm telling you, this is a, this is a month for us to ask the hard questions about how do we see the church? How do we see her? Do we value her as Jesus did? What I love about the church is that, is that for many of us, we've been hurt by the church, and guess what Jesus uses to heal our hearts? The church. He takes us back to the very place of pain, and he invites us to face our pain with the cause of the pain. The pain but with him as the cornerstone. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for, for not, not, not just a message. We thank you for the power of your word. Your word has spoken to us. It's challenged us. It's awakened us. It has cut us. It has propelled us. For some of us, we need to respond. We, we need to respond now. If you're here and God is moving in your heart He's moving in your heart In regards to the way that You have devalued the bride He's moving in your heart When it comes to the way in which you have been hesitant In Going all in on the very bride That Jesus went all in on For some of you you've been hurt By this church and you It's time for you to face the hurt It's time for you to face it It's time for you to face it Face it with forgiveness. Face it with the hard conversations. This, this is a month for us to be revitalized and refreshed in who Jesus Christ is as the cornerstone and the foundation of this house. Lord, we thank you for what you're building in this city. You are building it. You are the one doing the, the heavy lifting in our Latino service, in, our, in GCCK in what you're doing in Sterling, in Denver, in in South Carolina, in Charlottesville and all points beyond, in Los Angeles, and in the church plants to come. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that's building your house and we want to participate with you as you do it. In your name we pray. Amen.